Today I'm entitled my message, Deep Courage. Deep Courage and Grace. We live in a time where people haven't had to stand up for their rights that often. You know, we've, we've had it so easy for so long that we just expect that if you just be nice and kind and obedient, everything's going to work out. And a bit of a wake-up call that our culture and our way of life can be under attack so just underhandedly, so sneakily. And so it's really disturbed people. It's got people worried. It's got people stressed out. We've got all the end times people with a crazy doctrine, all thinking that, you know, this is the last days and we're all out of here. And then we've got people who are just living in fear who literally have this foreboding feeling that everything's going bad. And I want to talk about this. I want to show you biblically where you should be standing and how to walk in courage in the midst of a time when you're going to need courage. It's not the time to run. It's not the time to be quiet. I always say silence isn't golden, it's yellow. Yeah, we live in a democracy. It's time to speak up. It's time to take our place as leaders. But so many people struggle. It's like there is this, uh, this corporate depression. It's like there's this national depression. It's like people, you can just sense this heaviness. Suicides are up unbelievably as a pastor and a leader I see that uh, you know depression in homes and family breakdowns of marriage children and all the new and crazy things that are going on in their little minds some of them don't even know what it is to walk out a sense of normalcy and so there is this fear this pervasive fear and people live in a constant state of pessimism they live in a constant state of negativity and that's not for the Christian. And so today I want to show you the biblical way to walk out courage. Some of you right now are thinking, I'm not courageous. No, courage is not a personality type. Hello. You weren't born with it or born without it. Courage is completely different than that. And anybody here can walk in a deep courage, a strong courage. But the problem with many people is that when they, if they don't understand the process I'm going to explain to you today, they, their experience becomes their reality. Think about that statement. Their experience becomes their reality. So if they're experiencing depression and gloom and a sense of foreboding and, and everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket because of their end times doctrine or because of they're looking around and just seeing everything's against us, they begin to experience these feelings, this sense of foreboding, and they think that's reality. Last week we talked about David. And how that an entire army from Israel watched Goliath. And they experienced knee-knocking, teeth-chattering fear. And they were positive it was reality. Till a teenage shepherd boy showed them what reality was. And set free an entire nation. The ability to look at our world and to find good... 
the ability to look at our world and to see good, to see opportunity, is rooted in our heart. It's not rooted in our head. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Your eyes simply receive light. They absorb light. Your brain creates images from that light. However, it is this deep thing the Bible calls your heart. That is the part of you that perceives and determines and interprets the images that are in your brain. This is crucial because I could go in the science way and prove it to you in the science direction, but I prefer the Word because science just keeps continually proving God's Word is true. Science and the Word of God don't disagree. Maybe in some, you know, some crazy religious beliefs, but when you get into the Word, it is stunningly scientific. And so we've got to understand that, that when we look at something, I'm going to go through this again because this is crucial. Your eyes simply absorb the light. Your brain creates images. But the interpretation and the perception and the understanding that takes place comes from a deep conditioning of your heart. It comes from the beliefs of your heart. The Bible says this over and over again. And it talks about this heart. Not your vessel, physical heart, that's boop, 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 boop. It's talking about a deep, deep, it's similar to your subconscious, but far more powerful. Your subconscious, as a part of your mind, simply keeps track of some of the things that affected your identity growing up. Hurts, heartaches, positive, negative. And whether or not you see the cup half full or the cup half empty, is actually a conditioning of your heart. It's a belief of your heart. So we need to look at this and we need to understand how to change this. Now, when you look in the Bible at certain words, like for example, Proverbs talks about an evil heart often. And we use the word evil for something really different. When it's evil, you're an axe murderer in our book. If I call you evil or you call me evil, we are like killing people. That's what that word, it, that word evil just, but that's not what it means in its usage here. It literally means crooked. And so when you have a crooked heart, again, and it doesn't mean cheating or lying. It literally means that your heart is crooked. The paths of your heart are crooked. And things don't flow properly through this deep believing understanding of your heart. And whenever you see the word righteousness in Proverbs, it literally means a straight heart. <laughs> what? Straight. It means a straight heart. Meaning that things come through and they're straight. It's not being veered off the path of wisdom. It's not being veered off the path of understanding or knowledge, but your heart has this ability that, that, that it just it, it looks and interprets it, and it interprets it with such precision and such beauty if the beliefs of your heart are correct. Now tied into this, and I know I'm speaking if you're fairly new here, that you know, 
we deal with a lot of topics in this church, but, and I'm not going to teach on this, but we have and we will. We've got to remember as we look at the heart as the autopilot of your life. Your heart, this deep center of your heart, is the autopilot. It determines without any um, decision-making by you, it's determining what you think, what you feel. Your behavior is determined by this autopilot called your heart. And so your, how you were raised determines the autopilot of your life, which is why today is so crucial when we understand if you raise your children according to the Word of God, that you're special, God loves you, cares about you, Jesus died for you, you're forgiven, He has an adventure for you so incredible that everything ahead of you, He desires it to be fantastic. Every desire that He's placed in your life for family and romance and prosperity and blessing and peace and joy, He he, he, he's given it to you and I we just need to learn to take it his way so there's two kinds of life on this planet there is natural life which flows through your body comes up through your five senses to your mind but then there is a supernatural life the Bible talks about two kinds of life. One's natural, one is supernatural. Or it's the life that God has, that zoe, Z-O-E in the Greek, zoe life. Now, this zoe life is what Jesus used when he walked the planet. People were shocked as he reached out and touched someone, and, and, and their cells and their body would just heal up. They were shocked when subatomic particles seemed to just reform when it came to doing miraculous walking on the water in front of a ton of people watching rising from the dead witnessed by over 500 people history tells us with the nail scars still in his hands the hole in his side the ripped up scalp from the thorns he died they put a spear in his side and water and blood ran out and yet he came out of the grave there is a life that is greater than natural life and for those who are into science I've got a, a friend named Hugh Ross one of the most intelligent scientists in the world and he has a a dot com called reasons to believe dot com or dot org and he says that we know there's about um, we think this is the only world but he begins to explain in terms of science all the different realms that are out there the spirit realm is one of them and they say there's all these different realms that science and, 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 and mathematics are beginning to prove through formulas we think that this physical world is it the Bible uses different terms it says there's a spirit world where God is where there are alien entities if you want to call them that Bible calls them demons that come in and harass and want their will to be done from the dark kingdom and then there's God's kingdom of light and this kingdom of light is trying to influence as well behind every leader that ever rises up is either going to be the kingdom of darkness influencing them or the kingdom of light influencing them there is no demilitarized zone or he's neutral no in fact by default you'll move towards being selfish and self-centered which is the human condition without Christ so 
we need to know that our heart, this autopilot, it needs to see things straight and proper. Now, if you're going to buy a complicated piece of equipment like a computer uh, and you don't know how to set it up, you go to the owner's manual and you find out who created it. The principles in God's Word show us how to handle us. You are a three-part being. You live in a body. You have an onboard computer called your mind. You have a spirit where when you get saved, Jesus comes in, God comes in, and gives you a new creation. And then at the center of all this, deep inside, is this thing called heart. That every second of every minute of every day is gathering information about you. And so your identity is determined in this deep believing called the heart. In fact, to all you Bible scholars, if you do not read the Bible from the perspective of it impacting your identity, it doesn't bind to your heart. If you simply read the Word of God to find out what is truth, what's the correct definition, what's the correct doctrine, you literally will study the Word of God. You're studying now simply from your mind because you're reasoning things through. You're trying to pigeonhole everything, get everything figured out doctrinally. I've noticed that people who do that become very relationship needy because they don't know God. They just have a doctrinal understanding of God. And so as we read the Word of God, it should be telling you who you are and who God is in relation to you and what Jesus did on the cross in relation to you and what His death did for you and what His resurrection did for you. And every time you read a verse or you confess a verse, you speak the Word, if you do not begin to meditate and have it connected to your identity. The Word of God is just... It literally becomes frustrating as you find doctrines you can't make work. Because this new life doesn't come out of your head. This new life doesn't just come out of your body. It comes out of this thing called the heart. God is a heart God. All through the Word, he talks about the heart. And so to all you mature believers who are still struggling with fear and a sense of foreboding and anxiety, and so I don't, well, when's the last time you laughed? When's the last time you smiled and had a wonderful day? Or you just see, you're just barely holding your last brain cell together as you look around worried and freaked out. And you have to understand something. That as you understand this process that God is showing us, it is so easy. But we always move to pride where we kind of go, well, my opinion is good for your opinion. If you come out and I can't get my car to work and you don't know anything about it, but you say, hey, Leon, in my opinion... I'm going to go, I don't need you. I don't need your opinion. You didn't create the car. You don't understand anything about electronics or gas engines, etc. So I don't care about your opinion. Your opinion is useless. And today we have this thing that we teach in, in university that, you know, what you believe. Everybody gets a chance to believe. You get a chance to believe. But if it's not truth, it's going to have consequences. Because beliefs cause behaviors, and behaviors have consequences. And so it's crucial for us to understand this life of God that can radiate into your mind and give you a peace that this world doesn't know. 
This life of God, this presence of God, it begins to flow into you in such a way that it actually brings health. I'm going to show you some of these verses. Until issues are solved at the heart level, they are only managed. And managing a behavioral issue is like giving up. It's like living with a person you can't stand. Because every one of your desires moves to addictions. That's why you can't let your body be in lead position. He'll just want more and 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 more of whatever it is you want. Drugs, uh, cannabis, alcohol, sex, power to be noticed, to look beautiful and do anything you can to keep this edge. So you have to understand that it's at the heart source that things are solved. If you have an addiction, and you can't, and you can manage it. Thank you for managing it. Like if you, if you got an addiction and you're managing it, you're managing your behavior. That's good. But hopefully, you're just managing your behavior until you can change your heart beliefs about yourself. And so, as we dive into this, all of what you are walking through that you can't seem to deal with will be from a root of a belief about yourself that the Word of God will change for you. And by the way, it's not your fault. What do you mean, Leon? You didn't determine how you were raised and what your teachers taught you and what your uncle and your aunt and, and, and the hurts that happened that form beliefs about you and the things that you went through. That, that, that have given you this, this, these angst, these anxieties that you have today. You know, stuff happens, so it's not your fault. But it's your responsibility to change it now. Because if you don't take responsibility, you will live like this, blaming your mother the rest of your life. Or blaming your father. The poor mums, they really get it from our counselors. Everything's the, the mom. And so, as you begin to get into the Word of God, Isaiah 42, 16 says that you'll make the crooked places straight. Isn't that interesting? Tucked in the middle of these gorgeous promises and prophecies, he's saying that the crooked places are made straight, and yet the crooked places that Proverbs is all talking about is the heart, a crooked heart, where things don't flow smoothly. They, you know, they're, they're just, and it'll make it straight, and straight is where wisdom and knowledge flows through, straight through so easily and effortlessly that you make decisions. In Proverbs 15, 15, it says, All the days of the afflicted, are evil. Ever feel like that sometimes? Man, turn to the left, things going bad. Turn to the right, things going bad. Look ahead, things going real bad. Look back, things been bad for a while. You just have this feeling. But the Bible says next in this, in this verse, but he who has a merry heart has a continual feast. A feast is a party filled with friends, filled with good food, filled with games and laughter and happiness and great conversations. It says that it, when you deal with your heart, this deeper part of you where the beliefs about you, you have and you hold. Joshua had a few problems when he had to take over from Moses. And if you go to Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to verse 9, God is speaking to Joshua and he says, Moses is dead. Get up. 
Get up. Every place your feet trod, I'm giving it to you. He's meaning everything you now fight for, you'll get. As I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Get into my word, he says, and you will make your way prosperous. And you will have success. Now, for those who are tied into the sovereignty of God in an incorrect way, they just think, do nothing, and God's in control. But he told Joshua in the Old Covenant, and the same is true in the New, he said, study my word. And he says, you will make your way. Which way? Well, we keep thinking that prayer changes our external world. That's the second step. The first step prayer changes is the beliefs of your heart. And it makes the ways of your heart change first. These deeper beliefs about you, that you have about you, And once you change this heart, you'll change the kind of people that you attract. You'll change the way people look at you and treat you. It'll change the way health deals with you, finances deal with you. It'll change the way the world uh, deals with you because the heart is where the life of God is released and it is tied to your beliefs. If we blame the devil too much... We develop this crazy doctrine that he's in control, that he's all-powerful when Jesus said he was defeated. So if he was defeated, why is he in control? He's not. He was given it through our beliefs and our allowing. Your heart, it's crucial to have the heart changed. Only the change of your heart will change the way you see the world. And if you see the world as a big, bad world with a big, bad devil, and the devil's going to take over every country, and he's going he's to behead Christians and slam a mark on your hand, and, and you've got these beliefs that, that, that certain just pumped into us, then you literally are giving up right now. You're going... Well, I mean, look at it. I mean, take a pic. It's all over the world. Can you, I mean, really, what more? Okay, stop. When in the Old Testament were the odds for God's people? Where in the Old Testament stories of God indoctrinating and teaching us who He is and who we are, did they ever say, oh, we're the majority here. We got more soldiers than them. Oh, we're bigger and better and strong. Never. And who always won? God's people. And so you need to understand that. In Proverbs 14, 14, it says, The backslider in heart is filled with his own ways. Okay, let's just stop right there. What is a backslider? It's very, it's very picturesque. You're sliding away from your rights and privileges and true identity. You're sliding away from who you are. But then it says in the next line of Proverbs 14, 14, And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. What do you mean from yourself? It means God has placed something in you called the heart. 
And if you want to walk in his favor and blessings, the issue is not to be screaming at the devil. The issue is not begging and pleading with God. The issue is this process of faith, of diving into his word to find out what Jesus did from the cross to the throne. And then you need to begin to connect to it. And what does this mean to me? What does this verse do for me? Did Jesus love me? If I was the only person on the planet, would he have died in my place and taken my sin and rose again with life for me? You can live your life as a Christian with natural life and never touch supernatural life because you won't change the beliefs of your heart. As you change the beliefs of your heart, it is like a fireman's hose. You know, if you've ever gone, and, and uh, for the firemen that are here, but if you ever go, and if you turn the hose off, it's, it's still heavy to lift. But you start turning that hose on, and it goes bigger and bigger and bigger until it's blowing so hard, you need another guy to help you on the hose. And if it starts going like this, you hold it too far back, that thing will knock you out. It'll put four teeth on the floor. That's how powerful this thing is. Your heart is like a tap. And the presence of God can flow from your heart. But what controls the tap is your beliefs. And so as you believe lies, as you don't even deal with your beliefs, you just take your dad's beliefs, who's got your grandpa's beliefs, who's got your great-grandpa's beliefs, added with your, on the other side of the family, then you've got your own hurts and the things that you draw conclusions from when you were beat up or raped or when you were touched or whatever went on in your world, it began to... It begins to just cause you to arrive at certain beliefs about yourself. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm causing this. I'm the problem. I'll never amount to much. And these beliefs, they condemn you to a life that is evil. Now, I don't mean that you're going to become evil, but that actually is where it starts to happen. Because you just give up on goodness. You give up that you can just rise up and be strong. And you've got to understand that this process of taking God's Word and meditating on it and getting it on the inside of you is so crucial. Ephesians 2.10 in the Amplified says that God created you. He created you. And He made you for good. He's created paths for you into your future. It's called paths ahead of time that you can walk in them if you like but because God gives you such freedom you don't have to walk these paths you will never protect yourself enough with your own reasoning you'll never protect yourself enough just from the physical side of sickness disease viruses new things and, and you ne you'll never protect yourself from unforeseen things you never know where the tornado is going to hit and where the fire gas leaks going to blow and and what car is going to run the red light while you're doing the green there's so many things that are out of your control but the zoe life of god that flows from your heart He'll lead you and guide you moment by moment to the place He'll guide you so you don't even dash your foot against a stone. I tell athletes, sometimes I'll speak to athletic teams and I'll just say, a really good verse for you is to remember that when it comes to breaking fingers, popping kneecaps, blowing ankles, blowing hips, Bible says that He'll protect you if you, so you don't even dash your foot against a stone. You're not even injured. There's so many beautiful promises in God's Word. But Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is life to the body. Not the physical heart, 
We know that that's an or He's talking here about the spiritual heart, these deepest beliefs, that if the beliefs are wrong, you will struggle with sickness. And as you begin to dive into the Word, and you can't just psychoanalyze yourself and throw some random beliefs at yourself. It is the absorbing of God's Word. Jesus said that He was the bread of life. He didn't say, think yourself clear and pick your beliefs. He said, feed on my word. And as you feed on my word, it has an impact on you. You'll find such courage because it's not about you. Proverbs 2.10 says, when wisdom enters your heart, not your head, and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. It'll deliver you from the ways of evil, from a man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of righteousness, who are coming after you. He'll protect you from that. When we begin to relate to God at the heart level, it becomes the most personal thing. God loves me. His promises for me. Jesus died for me. He cares about me. It is I who can walk in peace. It is I who can sense His joy. It is I who can look at the future and see it's going to be good. I'm not going to worry about my kids and my grandkids. He's promised me that to the thousandth generation, the favor and the blessing of God will be upon our lives. Now, why is this important? Because both the darkness of this world pushes at your beliefs and the light of God's Word pushes and it's there for your beliefs. And if you allow the screaming of Goliath to tell you what he's going to do to you, it'll paralyze you like all the soldiers of Israel. But you'll have to spend time with God like David did. Get into the Word. Spend some time in prayer. Something happens to you. Something happens that comes from deep inside of you. And everybody else's knees are knocking. They're trained soldiers. And a teenage boy who's only learned to use a slingshot doesn't know how to use a, a shield, a spear, a sword, a bow, arrows. Doesn't know anything about military conquests or setting up soldiers on a defensive posture, in an attacking posture. Sun Tzu wasn't even around back then. All he did was know God and he had a slingshot. And God used what was in his hand. And he took him through. And because of the condition of David's heart... Because Samuel was told, don't look at his oldest brother. That's not the new king. Don't look at the second or the third or the fourth brother. He had a bunch of brothers. And God said no to them all. He said, Samuel, I look at the heart. David. Well, what does that mean, Leon? Does that mean he was the purest? No. Read the Bible. <laughs> David had a lot of stuff that he had to deal with. But God was attracted to him, and he had a, a heart after God, meaning to get up and fight for God's people, to never let anything keep him down. His son wrote a, a proverb, Solomon, that said, when the righteous fall seven times, they get up every time, and they keep going. There is something about the presence of God in our lives that you can fall, you can make a mess, you can embarrass yourself, your family, and everybody else, but God just says, get up, son. Come on, daughter, get up. We're going to keep going. Ah, ignore the people around you. They never liked you anyway. So let's go. Come on. Let's get going. Let's do something with our lives. Why are we so worried about everybody else and what they think? 
This heart, in Proverbs 3, it says, You must write on the tables of your heart. What? Well, what am I supposed to write? Another verse says, Your tongue is the pen. My tongue is the pen. If you want to write on your heart, it is the things that you speak. So, the Bible says three times in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ, the, our high priest, is the high priest of our confession. He's the high priest of what you say. He says in the Gospels that by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Okay? He's not talking about when you get to heaven, we're all going to stand before God and give an account for all the words that you speak. Can you imagine how many words you've spoken in, in 80 years? I mean, I think men is 10,000 a day and women are 50,000 a day. So women are going to have their own line and men are going <laughs> to... I'm messing with you. He is the high priest of your confession. If you have not been speaking God's word, you have not been writing on your heart. Paul, when writing to the Galatians, he said, don't slide away from His grace. Don't allow yourself to move away from the grace, which is unearned favor. Grace means God's favor. If I say to you, hey, I'm going to do somebody a favor here. I got a watch. I don't, but I got a watch and I'm going to give it to you. And this is an expensive watch. And my favor to you, I'm going to give it to you. Who wants it? So someone comes up and I give them my watch and I call it a favor. But then I say, but could you come over for a few weeks and help me do my roof and my fencing and my lawn? And I want to get a little bit of work done in my rumpus room. You're going, oh, 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 wait a minute. You said this was a favor. See, some business people do favors like that. Some. No, nobody here. And, but when God says, I'm going to do you a favor, that Jesus has died in your place, and all of his promises are yours, we must begin to understand the favor of God in our lives. So deep courage this ability, and but when I say courage, I don't mean that you're depressed, unhappy, uh, pessimistic, negative, you're dreading the future, but I'm going to courageously face it. I'm not talking about that kind of courage. You look like you've been sucking on lemons. No, I'm talking about a courage that the Word says causes you to laugh. Laughter doeth good like a medicine. A merry heart gives your life a continual feast. How do we do this? It is a simple spending time understanding God's Word, getting out to church, reading the Word of God, finding a great teaching book that is a good one, and just understanding who Jesus is. And as you spend time with Him each day, we call that devotions. You know, grab a little bit of time with the Word and, and just talk with God. You begin to connect with Him at the heart level. You know, when I first met Sally, a lot of things I liked about her. There was no connection. I had to catch her. I had to chase her down. I, had to, I chased her and chased her until she caught me. <laughs> but once you start to talk and hang out together, I no longer have a visual appreciation of her. I begin to know her here. We begin to connect. And then I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. 
The same is true for God. When you spend time in God's Word, you begin to connect with God. You begin to get to know Him. You begin to sense His deep love for you. It begins to affect your identity. You know, all my kids and grandkids, they, when they were little, their identity is so pristine if you love them and touch them. They just think they are the light of the universe. They just think that they're the prince and the princess of the whole world. They can run into your office, sit on your lap, interrupt your business meetings, phone you, text you when they hit that age. And, and it takes things in life that attack them or people talk about them or hurt them to begin to shake this identity which is why they must be founded in the Word of God. And the easiest time to prepare a child to have an identity that faces the future with courage and peace and joy and doesn't allow anybody else to speak into their world is when they're little and you teach them the Word and, and you connect with them. <clears throat> I'm, so, I'm over time, but I'll just stop right there. I've got too many more points. When one of my daughters was in kindergarten, she came home one day and Sal and I would go from room to room and just pray and talk with them. And, you know, they'll, they'll talk as long as you want when it's bedtime. It's the best time to get them open up. And uh, so I went into Michaela's room and I could hear her crying. And I was kind of surprised. And I said, honey, what is it? Nothing. And I said, you're crying. Tears are going down her cheeks. I'm going, what in the world? I said, sweetie, talk to me. And so I just sat on the edge of her bed and wrapped her up and gave her a hug. I said, okay, why are you crying? A little boy at kindergarten? He said, I'm ugly. <laughs> now, I had to control my anger, of course. <laughs> but I was thinking about how should I handle this? And I said, Michaela, what does your dad say? What do I say about you? What <laughs> tears away, and she thought for a minute, and she goes, you say I'm beautiful. Okay. How often do I say that? All the time. Good. Who's smarter? <laughs> that little boy in kindergarten or your dad? I just waited. Sometimes you just got to shut up, you know, just wait. I just waited for a while. She's rubbing the tears away and her little brain is thinking and she goes, you are, I'm beautiful and I'm smart too. <laughs> and it's become one of her favorite lines. Now, you've got a choice. You can look at your math teacher, your gym coach, your parents, your grandparents, your crazy uncle, as to what they say about you. Who's the smartest person in the universe? And what does he say about you? And if you don't hear those words and you don't connect to him and let them impact your heart, the deepest level of your identity, then the word won't stick to you. It'll just be something that never seems to work for you. But when you get to know this Jesus, something changes deep at this level. Would you close your eyes and bow your head with me? I want to just close my message down with a powerful prayer. It's a prayer of accepting God. You see, God loves you and respects you so much, He will never force Himself into your life. 
But what I've been talking about today, teaching from the Bible, and it's only going to work when Jesus comes into your life, comes into your heart. And He's not going to come unless you ask Him. So I'm going to lead this entire congregation. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud with me, all of you. And if you're here and you say, Leon, would you include me in that prayer? I need to invite Him into my life. I need to give my life to Him. If that's you, just you folk, would you just open your eyes all over the auditorium and just give me a wave. If you're saying, Leon, please include me in that prayer as we all pray it today. I want to give my life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Others, thank you, thank you, thank you. Others, just say yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. For those who are watching on television, wherever you are in the world, pray this prayer with us and start this incredible journey of Jesus on the inside of your life. Prayer goes like this. Everyone just say, Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus who took my place, died on a cross. He took my sin. And he qualified me as imperfect as I am to be in your family. I accept this free gift. Jesus, come into my life. From today and on, I'm following you. Teach me who I really am now. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the family of God. It's a powerful thing to do.